Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm excited to have Yuri joining today. Uh, Yuri just came out with a, a book recently that's for people trying to start a career in cybersecurity. It's called Building a Career in Cybersecurity. And this is what the cover looks like. And we'll be sharing a link uh, where you can find this book uh, in the show notes. So it's a really interesting book. I mean, welcome to the show, Yuri. Uh, Thank it's you great much. to have you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. I truly appreciate it. Yeah, good. great to have also a, a fellow author. I think you've You've done several books, but a fellow author and brother in iron. So it's good to, good to have you on. <laughs> yes, definitely. We have a lot of things in common. And we didn't even know that uh, we work out at the same gym at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yuri and I probably have more connections in the fitness uh, community than we do the cybersecurity community. We used to work out at one of the same gyms. We know a lot of the same people. Uh, I know his trainer. And so it's pretty cool to finally get to talk to you. I've seen you on social media you know, your posts on LinkedIn and Twitter. And and so it's uh, great to finally be speaking with you. And for Texas standards, we are actually pretty neighbor, basically, because uh, yes. we, we've been kind of close. Yeah, we're fairly close. Yeah, it's very cool. So yeah, really uh, looking forward to speaking about your book today. I, thanks for the copy of it. And uh, I think it's a really good book. It covers a lot of, a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, needs to be covered that gets left out of some of these books. Some books only you know have information on certifications uh maybe some different you know learning paths and stuff but they really don't get into some of the some of the content like you included here that's that's really missing because i do a lot of mentoring myself and i used to teach at dallas college to teach pen testing so i come in contact with a lot of people trying to break into the industry and some of these things that are commonly overlooked that you you cover cover in your book yeah, the whole idea was really to create this roadmap uh, for people to migrate from different fields to cyber. Um, that's why there are parts of the book right in the beginning that we talk about uh, self-assessment, because you don't have to reset uh, and ignore everything that you, you learn. I, there is actually sections in the book uh, called 101 with Auto that I have some anecdotal uh, scenarios that happened to me uh, of People that I've seen joining the cybersecurity coming from a whole different field, like a database or analytics, and they do really well because they know how to leverage the knowledge that they had before into cybersecurity. So you have to really think through your strengths and how can you use those strengths to easily this migration. Very cool. And before we get too far into the conversation, just for those listeners that may not be familiar with you, if you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of sharing your background, uh, kind of how you got started and what you're doing today. Yeah. Um, well, I'm originally from Brazil. Uh, I moved to U.S. in 2003 um, to work as a vendor at Microsoft. Uh, so I was there for uh, six, seven months, and then I moved to Round Rock to work at Dell Computers in the network team there. Then I moved back to Dallas in 2006 to work uh, at Microsoft, and I officially, I'll say, officially started working with Cyber back in 2005. I was still at Dell, 
it was when I first got my my first uh, certification, Security Plus CompTIA. Um, I was doing some support for ISA Server 2000 uh, at Dell, and then when I moved to Microsoft, I joined this the uh, CSS Security, which is the support for security, and I was we we were supporting the firewall line of Microsoft at that time, which was ISA Server 2006. And then right after that, they evolved to TMG, the Threat Management Gateway. So I was on the um, enterprise support for that product. And uh, it was exactly during that time that I published my first book in US, the, the Forefront uh, Threat Management Gateway, uh, Administrator Companion for Microsoft Press. And then I've been writing books for Microsoft Press, Packet, Pearson, since then. As of now, I have 31 books published total, wow. <laughs> including this latest one. Um, and uh, at Microsoft, I evolved from the support, went to the engineering to work with Windows Security, and then went to start working with in product management for our cloud secure uh, uh, solution that was released in 2015 called Secure Center, which now is called Defender for Cloud. So I'm now, I'm people manager. I manage a team of PMs uh, that are responsible for the Defender for Cloud uh, product engagement with uh, with customers. Um, so it, it, it was easy migration, I would say, from uh, individual contributor to people manager because I was already doing tech lead uh, type of job. So it was a really good uh, migration. Now, aside from that, I also teach at EC Cons University at the cybersecurity program that they have, and that's been going on since 2015. Because I got my master in cybersecurity at Eureka College, I finished in 2014, and then in 15 I started teaching uh, at EC Cons. And, and right now I'm working on my uh, PhD on cybersecurity leadership for Capital Technology University. Very cool. Yeah, interesting background. I I started out in as a sysadmin, so uh, hearing some of the Microsoft technologies, I forgot all about the Microsoft firewall because I remember doing some side work that I was working setting up one of those one of those Microsoft firewalls back in the day. I used to be a used to be MCSE certified on NT four zero and in two thousand. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, actually got my start in Novell, but just after seeing the writing on the writing on the wall, I started. <laughs> Moving more towards uh, Microsoft. I, I started Novell too in 1996, I think. 1996, I think it was. Uh, it was Novell, uh, and then Windows 3.11. Actually, was my first experience with Windows Network. It was Windows 3.0, Windows for Workgroups, if you remember, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. Because I remember Windows 3.11, then Windows uh, 3.0 or NT Server 3.51, and then right. NT Server. 4.0. So yeah, it's exactly. been an interesting evolution. I mean, people just, the cool thing about all the opportunities you have security-wise, because remember back in the day, you was there was pretty much like network security. There really wasn't a lot of other people that set up user accounts. There really wasn't a lot of roles. But now the way the security world's evolved, there's like so many different roles in security. It's not as simple as it used to be. Yeah, and I remember that I think that my first experience with a big outbreak at that time it was 1998 i think 1998 1999 it was uh, the i love you uh virus okay. uh, that was spread out through exchange and at that time i was actually administering the exchange 
five five uh, in that uh, in this company, and it was a nightmare. Yeah, imagine back before you know, it used to be hard to administer a lot of computers. They didn't have all the 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 nice softwares and stuff to administer all the servers. One of my some of my remembrances of is Code Red and Nimda viruses back in the day. Yeah, no, it was it was a nightmare to to deploy things, to hardening things at scale. It was really a nightmare. Uh, nowadays, it's so much easier. And and people at the beginning were skeptical with cloud because I was in this journey uh, to convince people that cloud was important. I remember at the Tech Ed 2014, I was presenting in Madrid uh, about private cloud because it was they were so resistance with cloud that uh, they didn't want to do public cloud. They just wanted to do private cloud. Uh, fast forward, now everyone is in public cloud. AWS, GCP, Azure, it doesn't matter, but everyone is moving to cloud without the skepticism because actually cloud is enabling people to be more secure. Yeah. One of the things that's nice about cloud too that some people that are not in the industry may not think about, especially those that kind of grew up in a cloud centric world is like business continuity and disaster recovery planning used to when everything was on prem, you'd have to have a hotter cold site somewhere that you could spin up, get all your servers and stuff running. So now with, with cloud, that's really made that uh, really, you shouldn't have that issue. Yeah. And, and there are things, for example, that were extremely expensive to implement like MFA or any other method of authentication with cloud, it, it becomes way much easier, right? Because in the past, you had to maintain all the infrastructure on-prems. You have to, to really know deeply all those technologies to implement and deploy and maintain. And then the expensive hardware tokens too, and you didn't have a lot of choices when it came to some of that stuff. <laughs> true, true, yep, yep. Yeah, one of the most interesting Radius servers, I remember there used to be uh, one called Steel Belted Radius which was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, the radius, uh, the radius server was definitely something that uh, it was not an easy task to set up. Uh, I remember it was so many. Um, my first experience with radius was uh, in 1999, also working on this telecommunication company. And uh, it was a Cisco solution at that time. But it was so complicated. You you really needed to have a really deep level of knowledge in Cisco OS and 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 be specialized just on that area to be able to to make the configuration. It's way easier nowadays. Uh, and uh, one of the things that people take for granted is is since it's so easy, they sometimes forget about the foundation knowledge, right? Because how many people nowadays really know what there is a TCP/IP stack? And what is a TCP/IP address, and uh, what is a handshake? You know, a lot of people don't know about that, uh, and I and this is something that drives me crazy because I I still think those concepts are foundational, and everyone that is moving and migrating to cyber should know. That's why on the book I say there are two knowledge foundation things that you need to know: operating system and network communication. Yeah, I think people nowadays get too excited to get into doing the actual work and then skip over over the basics. I think people like ourselves, we were kind of fortunate. I think that we were kind of forced to learn the basics because you're not going to work in IT if you didn't know networking and 
operating systems, understand TCP IP networking and all that. You wouldn't get in if you didn't know that. So now, and back then, you know, there really wasn't, you didn't see as many security roles. Cause I remember when I went to work for the mortgage company I worked for, when I started with them in 98, there was not a security team. The network administrators managed the firewalls and, and security was just kind of, kind of an afterthought. I remember my first day there, uh, the director over IT came up and had me as a sysadmin, had me going to take away uh, admin access out of uh, Novell Netware, out of Novell Directory Services from the people that didn't need it. And so I met a lot, I had a lot of desktop support people my first time meeting them weren't too happy because they lost their admin access, but just kind of the way things were, were then. Yeah, yeah. I remember a, a similar situation, but it was when we had uh, in this telecommunication company that I was working back in the day in Brazil, uh, they had a big layoff and uh, I was the guy that uh, was working to create a script to disable all the accounts and everything. So when people couldn't log in, they, they were calling the help desk and they said, well, your account got disabled because you were fired. So it's uh, a... <laughs> It's uh, it was a really tough uh, situation, but you are absolutely right. At that time, there was not really an information security department at all. I think that yeah. at least in Brazil back in the day, information security dedicated to information security started like two thousand and five. You know, uh, two thousand and four is is really when people started to to think about that. Yeah, pretty much in the U.S. If you we're in security early 2000s or before that, especially if you're in the 90s, you would have had to been in the government somewhere because some of the people I know, Ira Winkler is one one example. One of my coworkers uh, at the company I work for, he started out like in the NSA or something like their DOD. So, you know, before that, you know, other U.S. companies might have had a firewall, might have had antivirus, but no, no teams. Yeah, they, as you said, they might have the products, but it was uh, the sysadmin responsibility to set up and to configure everything, right? It was actually part of IT. So with the evolution of security, you know, there's some things that make things so much easier, but at the same time, things are so much more complex now, you know, with all these new technologies, you know, before, uh, you know, we had maybe some internet threats and, you know, you you didn't have all the internet of things ice and uh, all these connected devices to the internet and stuff, and it's gotten more complex. How do you feel like the education uh, ha routes have changed? Do you think it's become more complicated to to learn security? Uh, yes, but I think that we are only going to evolve uh, to really the next level in, in, in security awareness and cybersecurity in general when we start incorporate security fundamentals at school, right? So. In high school, you should really have a discipline that covers information security. Everyone should be aware. Security should be second nature. For example, you really don't leave uh, your house and you unlock the door because this is a kind of physical security second nature that you have. So unless, unless we start building this level of awareness about information security that becomes second nature, uh, I think it will continue to be challenged uh, for many people to be aware about what's going on out there. So I always advocate to have information security as part of uh, uh, school programs, at least the basics. Every Everyone should, should leave high school having that knowledge, right? And when it comes to people that are going to college, 
it needs to get better because even bachelors in, in, in information system or computer science, they don't really cover security uh, as a discipline. Uh, and that needs to change. Um, so there is a lot of education that needs to, to improve uh, for us to get there. I travel a lot to Israel because uh, uh, the security team that I partner with at, at work, they are all there. Most of the security uh, software developers and the security products that we create, they are developed in Israel. And, and the level of secure awareness in Israel is like tremendous. Uh, but that that's because of the military, right? Because everyone mm -hmm. needs to go to the military. And then they, when they go to the military, they immediately are exposed to a lot of cyber security stuff. So most of that's why most of the security startups come from Israel because there's so many talented people there. Yeah, actually, my previous employer and current employer Israeli companies, and it's it's a good advantage they have there as far as if they're wanting to get into cybersecurity. Because you think in the U.S., when someone goes through college, some of the stuff they get is it going to be current enough to be helpful? And you, when you figure people are doing cyber warfare, you have to be right all the time because people's lives are at stake. So getting that hands-on training right away not only just the education piece that they're actually doing this day-to-day -day and it's not not just theory in some labs it's just all hands-on yeah yeah uh, and, and that's another point that i try I try to portray in the book I, I make some suggestions as far as creating labs and, and doing some hands-on activities because there is a lot of free resources that you can use trial resources uh, that you can use to ramp up and to gain knowledge. Because what I also hear from people is that, well, there is a lot of cybersecurity jobs, but most of the jobs require experience. How can I gain that experience without really working cyber, right? So you really need to start expanding your network, start to look inside of your organization. There is an information security team, potentially, and they are always looking for help. So volunteer some of your time to help. Volunteer some of your time to learn and participate on projects, be team, volunteer for the community. So the, nowadays, I think there's a lot of opportunities for you to gain that experience. Yeah, I agree. I used to before some of the even learning opportunities or just getting the chance. I know some companies I've worked for, people that worked in the company would ask to get the shadow, the IT, the security folks go over there work with them for a little bit of time, maybe after their normal job, go over there and work after hours with them to, 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 to try to learn and get the experience. Yeah. Now, as you said, after hours, which means yeah. that you need to be willing to stretch yourself a little bit and uh, go the extra mile to, to do that and, and be conscious that your manager may say, well, this is, has nothing to do with your job, it's your own investment. Don't expect kudos from me. It could happen, right? But it's, it's your investment on yourself. So you are doing this because you are looking for a better future, uh, for a better job. So it's okay if the recognition doesn't come immediately after that. Because this is a, a problem I see nowadays too, is that a lot of uh, uh, folks nowadays, they want that immediate recognition. And I say that this is a... a a side effect of social media, right? Because in social media, many times you post something immediately, you have the recognition with the likes, with the comments. Well, in the job, in the, your career, it, it will not be that way for the most part. Yeah, it's almost when you kind of think about it, it's like working out, you know? You're not going to be Mr. Universe or Mr. Olympia when you just pick up a, a barbell. It's going to take time and effort and anything worth it, 
that work and investment eventually pays off. Yeah, perfect example. Exactly. You will not develop muscle overnight. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you try to lift heavy, you're just going to get injury because it's not going to develop overnight. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the consistency. And you know that because you train and you compete many times is the, the consistency over time that really conquers things. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's so many parallels between physical performance, mental, mentally and physically, because you look at some people that are really gifted and look at bodybuilding or something. Some people may not be the most genetically gifted, but the ones that are putting in all the work, working hard, it pays off. Some cases, the genetically gifted never hit their true potential because things come so easy. And this is the same thing uh, with learning. Maybe it doesn't come really easy for you, but the person that puts in the consistent time and effort over the years is going to be good. Cause you know, hard work, a lot of cases uh, beats out just intelligence, you know, raw intelligence. Yeah. And this is perfect. Uh, I talk, I have my, uh, a podcast called overcome where I interview a lot of athletes, uh, Olympic athletes from the U S from, from outside of us and coaches too. And uh, most of the coaches that I interview in the past, they say to me the same thing. Yuri, I'll get, I'd rather have a hard worker than a talent athlete. Because he said the, the talent athlete, he will not dedicate to train and to go that extra mile because he thinks he can do it without training. Uh, while the hard worker, he understands uh, his physical limitations, but he is always pushing. He's always trying to do better. And to me, that is a winner. And I agree. Uh, it's it's really about uh, about that. It's, it's really working hard and consistency. Very true. So, yeah, one of the things I really like about the book, too, is some of the things you include in there, uh, like some of the soft skills. And I've seen like a section career-wise talking about moving laterally or moving up. And so there's a lot of great information. I've, there's other books out on the market that have had information on the certifications and different things, but I think you kind of go in depth or a little further on some of those topics and other, other books. One of the things I also like too, is the depth you went into on the labs more than just like, even on my book, the pen tester blueprint, I didn't go in great details on the lab piece, but you went into some really good detail there and on the, on the different certifications. Thanks, you appreciate that. Uh, I, I really wanted to call out the soft skills because uh, I've been hiring for, for a long time now. And uh, I'll tell you this, many times is not the best technical person that gets the job because soft skills is important. If you think about nowadays is how about you collaborate with others, how you empower others to do better, how you become someone that other people feel inspired to do the work. And if you don't have the soft skills to manage those things and to interact with people and to do those things, it becomes very hard. It's easier to teach someone technically how to do something because there, there is training available. We can rump up someone. But soft skills, there is a lot of the personality. Right. So if you do not sharpen your soft skills and, and you improve and you just focus on technical skills, uh, you may not uh, not only get into the field, but if you are already there, you may not evolve to the next level. Uh, that's important, too, because sometimes people are already in the field and they rely too much on the technical aspect. Now, keep in mind, as you continue to grow, 
mainly on big techs, uh, and you continue to go up, the soft skills becomes more and more important, and your technicality, not so much, because everyone is good technically. So what's going to differentiate one from the other? Right? Those are some very good points, too. And if you can send clear emails on the topic, the more information you can give someone, the less questions they're going to have. Because you, when you just feed someone and respond back with just a one-liner or something, you don't give enough content context, it makes it more difficult. So as you mentioned, just those soft skills, the writing, the communication skills is, is super helpful. Because, you know, the managers and the the board and upper management they're going to want people that they can communicate with get the information easier they don't want to have to be you know like trying to get blood out of a turnip to try to get the information that they need yeah yeah and, and nowadays you have this massive amount of people working from everywhere so you have you are going to be interacting with people from different cultures so you have to be aware uh, about how you speak to someone in such a way that that person perceives that you are trying to help because you don't have the body language uh, in an email. So your words really mean a, a, a lot. Right? Your words can come across maybe offensive or rude. So you need to be mindful about all those things uh, and, and understand that you are dealing, for the most part, with an international team. So the message needs to be very well crafted. Uh, so that people can digest and understand, um, bring clarity instead of confusion. That's a great point. And avoid stuff like slang, because what some slang term, they can't look up and Google Translate or something. It makes it more difficult. So you have to to, to be pretty clear on that. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's a, a different language. When I started dealing more with sales and marketing people, some of the terms they use there, you hear them use SQL sometimes, but it's not for SQL. It's for sales qualified leads. So it kind of gets oh, confusing. Oh, wow. So, I, that's new. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, kind of crazy to see some stuff because I've been dealing a lot more with marketing and salespeople over the past couple of years. But you see SQL to anyone in IT or security, you're going to think SQL. Yeah. You can think of SQL database, but it's sales qualified leads. So it's so like when you're dealing with people that are non IT or security, then, you know, some of those things you may need to spell out a little bit more. And, and the other thing, the other thing too, uh, is that uh, for many years, the security folks they they felt very empowered to always blame the user, and even the IT, right? I mean, if you were yeah. IT administration back in the day, we always blame the user for things, right? And and nowadays, I don't think that we can really do that uh, because by by always blaming the user for everything that's wrong that happens we are kind of excusing ourselves to do better um so for example if you if you say well i have all the software is everything updated but the user click on that uh, phishing email and now it is compromised well do a better job in secure awareness training use that as an opportunity to do better right it's uh, it's that's something that uh, i always say well use those moments to instead of uh find someone to blame, see how it can do better. Yeah, I think it's going to make your role as even help desk, desktop support or, or, or security. If you're empathetic and you try yeah. to help them provide good customer service, it's going to be a better experience for you because if the person on the other end of the phone thinks you're going to get mad or yell at them or be impatient, they may have done something they shouldn't have done. Maybe they clicked on an email they shouldn't have clicked on 
they may not be honest about what they did because they're worried about the repercussions or your reaction. That's an excellent point. And it did it, it happen many times uh, um, working with customers. You had to continue to insist. That the, what did you change? No, I didn't change anything. No, but you changed something. You can be honest, <laughs> right? So they, they, they come up and say, well, I just did that. Well, that was enough. But I, for, to understand the root cause, as you said, you need to be empathetic and you need to, to create this partnership rather than make people afraid of uh, talking to you. <laughs> yeah, very good points. We're getting down close to the end of the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to discuss or anything about the book that we haven't mentioned that you'd like to share? Uh, well, I think that the, to, finalize, to finalize and wrap up the mess, I would say if you are in this transition between IT or any other area to cyber, there are a lot of opportunities there. And one of the things that the book also tries to clarify is what are the ramifications of cybersecurity? Because if you just say, I want to work with cybersecurity, it's almost like saying, I want to be a doctor. Right. What is your specialization? What do you want really to do as a doctor? So cybersecurity is so big when it comes to jobs and opportunities that you really need to narrow what you want to invest. Because if you start shooting to all the sides, you're going to derail. You're not going to have a clear path to go. So first of all, don't go to where everyone is going. Go to where you feel passionate about. Uh, that's a question that I receive a lot. Should I? Should I be a temp tester? Should I be a cybersecurity analyst? Well, I don't know. It depends on what you want for your life. It depends on what you're passionate about. Or what do you want to do it? So only you can answer that question. So go to where you feel passionate about. And, and to understand that, you need to learn the, the ramifications. And this is something that the book also brings. Yeah, that's some very good advice. And for anyone trying to get started, started out, if you find something you're passionate about, it's not like work. I mean, it's like, yeah, if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be hard to put in the time. And, you know, when you're starting out, you have to put in more hours. Then once you kind of get into it, get acclimated, you still need to study, but it's, you know, it's not as difficult. Right. Excellent. Well, we're, we're going to, we'll share in the show notes, the link to your book and any social media accounts so people can uh, contact you. I appreciate you taking time to join me today. It was uh, great discussing your book and cool. uh, cybersecurity. Oh. Thanks a lot, Phil. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks for inviting me for the show. Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.